Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Josh Pick is the Chief Investment Advisor with Aptus Wealth Management, a state-registered investment advisory firm. This program is sponsored by Aptus Wealth Management. Exposure to ideas and financial vehicles discussed should not be considered investment advice or recommendation to buy or sell financial vehicle. This information should not be considered tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult with professionals to see if any ideas expressed would fit their specific situation. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Securities can fluctuate and when redeemed may be more or less than when originally invested. Welcome in to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. We appreciate you listening. I'm Bruce Hooley here with Josh Pick of Aptus Wealth Management. And we're going to be talking about things that concern managing your wealth, getting you to retirement in a position where you're not concerned, where you can exercise financial independence. That's what it's about. You've worked hard. You want to grow your money. You want to preserve what you have saved. That's what they're about at Aptus Wealth Management. They're located in Lewis Center, just off Route 750, not far from 23 and 270. And yes, if you're out of the area, they can definitely help you. You do not have to live in central Ohio to be an Aptus client. You can get your free consultation by setting it up online at Aptus Wealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. You can also make an appointment on the phone, 614-917-1040. Okay, so Josh, let's start with a stat that I saw today that resonated with me because I have a daughter, my oldest daughter, who is not a millennial, but she's young, and this tells me a little bit about how young people think. They have, millennials, racked up $4 trillion in credit card debt in the fourth quarter. That's a 27% rise in the amount of money that millennials, which are people who are in their 30s, have uh, charged to their credit cards since 2019. It was the biggest jump of any age group. And it's their fastest accumulation of wealth in their lives. So to me, this is unwise. I would never have done that when I was younger. I knew not to put debt on a credit card. Um, Is this something that's unavoidable because of rising prices in other areas, rising interest rates right now with home mortgages and car loans going up and all that? What do you make of the uh, willingness of millennials to borrow essentially by putting everything on their credit card? Maybe they're just following the lead of the federal government, right? That's what, <laughs> that's what they're, they're learning from their peers. Uh, you know, obviously, this isn't a good thing. Now, I would like to think, and we'd have to look at some more stats, is this, you know, recurrent credit card debt? Are people actually paying this credit card debt off on a monthly basis? Or is this credit card debt that is holding stagnant and people paying towards it? That would be a challenge because what that does from my world is say, well, the economy is doing better because people are buying a lot of things, but that party is going to come to an end because at some point they're not going to be able to buy any more things because their debt service is going to be too high. Yeah. So, you know, just simply saying that they're putting a lot of stuff on credit is a, is a really bad choice. Yeah, it is a bad choice. And I think what I also saw was a story about an older couple that had credit card debt and it was oppressive and they used some of the money that they got from the government during the pandemic to pay off their credit card debt. Whew, big sigh of relief. They're out from under that. Then inflation started to hit, 
they started to put, well, it's just a little bit. It's just the electric bill. We'll catch up. $600 is not much compared to the 20000 that we owed before, but they found that they fell back into those same old habits. The credit card debt is uh, overall, not just millennials, hit a record $1 trillion in the last quarter. Um, that's amazing to me that we have a trillion dollars charged to credit cards when the interest rates on credit cards, I don't even know what it is because we pay ours off every month, but aren't you paying 20% annual interest if you're charging something on a credit card? Yeah, I mean, it's certainly high. You know, I'd, I'd like to think that all those people are just hanging on to that 0% financing for 12 months and they're going to pay mm. it all off lump sum. But statistically speaking, that's not the case. And I think, you know, what it really points to is we are creatures of habit. Yeah, we all are. If you get in a habit of saving and you automate the saving, then you continue to do the savings and you continue to go through that automation. If you play the disciplined approach and use your credit cards only when in an emergency or you put stuff on credit cards and pay it off every month, then you're using credit cards. You know, And Dave Ramsey, for example, would speak, this is the reason why you don't use them at all because you don't allow yourself... You know, I think he probably would use a reference to like, you know, you don't use heroin sometimes yeah. because, you know, you're smart. You'll only use it when you need it. Um, it's just a bad habit to get into. Now, I don't subscribe to the, you know, cut up your all your credit cards, but I do subscribe to discipline. And I do describe to making sure that you create a pattern for yourself that eliminates you getting in trouble. So let's say we have some millennials listening to the show right now and they're considering calling 614-917-1040, the aptus uh, wealth offices are thinking about coming in for a consultation. Uh, they are wondering how they develop discipline. Um, it's a great time to start. You always say the best time to start investing is, you know, yesterday. And if it's not yesterday, then it's today. So let's talk about the younger people and maybe for parents and grandparents out there who are trying to ingrain good habits. Do you have any suggestions for how you can teach these kinds of principles to people? So that their go-to is not to just charge it and worry about how to pay for it later, but to actually understand that, you know, uh, just like credit card debt can become oppressive because the interest compounds and you owe more and more and more and more and more. Hey, investing, look at this. This is the same kind of concept, only works to your advantage. Yeah, in reverse, right? The power of getting ahead versus behind. Well, I would say what doesn't work is believing that you're going to change your entire life overnight. You know, it's that approach of, uh, you know, I'm 400 pounds, I eat four pizzas a day, but tomorrow mm. I'm going to eat perfect and I'm going to work out for three hours. You might do that tomorrow, but by the end of the week, you're probably going to crack. It's too big of a, of a change. So similarly with investing, let's say that somebody came in and they had $10,000 worth of credit card debt, $20,000 worth of student loans, and they're saving nothing. To say, well, we did this financial plan and all we need to do is you're going to live on ramen noodles every day and we're going to have you back on track. That's just foolhardy. You're, you're not going to do it. So let's start small. Let's start making strides in the right direction. And then let's automate those strides and then automate the increases. Mm -hmm. So if you start, I'm going to say 50 bucks a month, but in six months, it's going to ratchet up by 5% automatically. I have nothing to do with it. You'll find that when money is taking out, taken out directly, you don't even miss it. Now, if we said we want to get to 250 a month and we started at 250, well, you're going to feel that. That's going to hurt right out of the gate. But if it gradually happens over time, it won't hurt. And the same thing is true with paying off your your credit cards. There's a there's a method to the madness in which you pay off first, and you know, kind of taking approaches where I want to knock out one and feel good about it, and and again, sort of lean into the Ramsey approach on this. But his is you know, pay off the small smallest balance first, 
that might not logically make mathematical sense, but you're you're kind of propelling or using that as a sure. springboard for an accomplishment. Look at that. I don't have that one anymore. Right, exactly. Right? Yeah, you're building momentum right there. And uh, speaking of building momentum, uh, here's an email that we got from Evelyn. And you guys can send your emails, Bruce at SalemMedia.com. Bruce at SalemMedia.com. And the email says, I've heard you guys talk about long-term care and how you need to plan for long-term care. We tried to do that. We got some estimates about long-term care and what it might cost us, and they just seemed unattainable for us. So what is someone supposed to do who understands the necessity of planning for long-term care? What strategies can you tell us so that we can cope with that? Yeah, I'll, I'll use an example that came into my office that I think would probably fall in tandem with what she's talking about. Um, you know, there's a few ways that you can handle long-term care. Uh, and I'm talking about actually through a product. Because everybody has a plan right now that's listening. And your current plan is, I'm going to use all my money until I'm broke. And then when I'm broke, the federal government through this the program called Medicaid is going to mm-hmm. come in and start picking up the tab. And hopefully, whatever facility I'm in is a Medicaid-approved facility and I can stay there. But if not, well, then I'm going to have to go somewhere else at the worst time in my life. And this sounds like a bad strategy, but this is the approach for all of us. It is. Right? It's an approach a lot of people have, yeah. The second approach would be... Um, I'm going to move all of my money into a trust, make myself effectively look broke in the next five years, and then Medicaid will have to pick up the costs. And I've, quote, shielded or repositioned my assets uh, you know, efficiently. But for a lot of people, that's not really the most effective and efficient option because you can't move qualified money into a trust. So even though it may make sense to move all your money into a trust and make it look like it doesn't exist... You have a million-dollar IRA. You would have to liquidate that million-dollar IRA, move it to the trust, pay taxes on it, Mm. and I have yet to find anybody who's really excited about that process. (laughs) So the third option is I can buy a product, uh, whether it's insurance or something, that will help cover the cost or cover that cost in total. And in the olden days, which isn't that long ago, think 10 years ago, maybe even 20 years ago, there was kind of these standard or run-of-the-mill long-term care policies. And for all intents and purposes, think of them as auto insurance. You would pay for this policy or health insurance, pay for the policy. If you didn't use the policy, well, then you lost all the money. If you didn't use it, you lose it. Um, If you need to go into a long-term care facility, well, then it'll pay for it. But there's only about a 50-50 shot that any of us are going to need to go in. And, you know, the unfortunate part is premiums weren't locked in. And long-term care, well, not a new phenomenon, uh, long-term care insurance is a pretty new phenomenon, so you would see rate increases to the point where for most people, by the time they got to the point where they needed the insurance, they could no longer even afford the premiums to pay for it because mm-hmm. it had gone up so much. So that really kind of went by the wayside, and nobody uses that anymore. And then these hybrid life insurance policies came out where it was kind of like, well, if I if I pay into it, I can I can lock my premium, so that's cool, so I know exactly what, I, what I'm paying. If I don't use the insurance for long-term care, there's a death benefit, like a life insurance policy attached to it. So, you know, I might not be able to use the money, but I didn't throw it down the drain either. And then, you know, it's an exponential benefit if I go into long-term care. And these were called hybrid long-term care policies. The problem with those is the benefits have gotten pretty watered down over the years. I'm not saying it's not an option for some, but for most that's where the buck kind of stops. People go, well, this sounded like a great idea, but why would I put $100,000 in a policy that only gives me $250,000 with a long-term care benefit? By the time I needed, I could have just invested it in something else and I would have been in the same position. Well, I think you know the, the new wave of products that kind of solves that the best 
is actually through an insurance company still, but it's through an annuity contract. The benefit to the annuity contract is this. If I don't want to use it for long-term care and I'm wrong, that's always the big risk. Well, what if I, I think I can afford it, but now I realize that I can't afford it. Yeah. Well, you can use the annuity for your own income if you want. No big deal. If you need it for long-term care, it's an exponentially increased amount versus your regular annuity payment that you could get for long-term care. Oh, really? It goes up if you're actually using it for long-term care? For most contracts that work like this, it doubles it. So so let's say that you have an annuity that's paying you $50,000 a year, you go to a long-term care facility, click, it goes up to 100. But you don't have to do it. You know, the old kind of traditional annuity contracts where you go, well, I got to turn on this. It's a bet between me and the insurance company as to how far, how long I'm going to live. You can do it with a deferred annuity contract, which means think of it as buying a CD. I buy this CD at some point if I want to turn on the income, great. If I turn on that income, it's going to be an exponentially greater income because the insurance company now knows they get my money for the rest of their, my life. And if I go to a long-term care facility, it juices it up even more. The real benefit, there's no underwriting. So if you're unhealthy and you're buying one of these products, you don't have to go through medical underwriting to determine that, you know what, we probably shouldn't do this. It's just everybody gets accepted. So I think that's really going to be the next evolution of long-term care planning in uncertain times where people just don't want to solely allocate money towards long-term care. They say, if I, if I need it, it's great that it's this ancillary benefit, but if I don't need it, I want to make sure that I live good on the way. Josh Pick, Bruce Hooley with you, Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. We also do a segment on my radio show, 12.30 p.m. every Monday, 98.9 The Answer. It's called Money Monday. That way you get Josh's analysis of the latest events out there as they concern the markets. And we are definitely in a period of volatility now. The Fed looks like they're going to raise rates again. They're trying to get inflation under control. So catch us Mondays, 12.30 on Money Monday and the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show airs at 7 p.m. Friday and noon Saturday. Tell your friends, share the content with them. I'd highly recommend you subscribe to Josh's YouTube channel. You can sign up to be a subscriber, get notified of new content posting when you go to the website, aptuswealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. While there, you can make an appointment for your free consultation. It's a no obligation. Get to know Josh. He will get to know you. They'll talk about risk tolerance with you and get to know each other. You can make your appointment for that free consultation by calling the office, 614-917-1040. I know when we talk about investing and we talk about scenarios coming up in the future, uh, there's always the disclaimer that everybody's situation is different and you're always trying to, uh, you know, you do deal with people on an individual basis. But uh, the thought of people, there's two schools of thought. You buy some kind of an investment vehicle to plan for long-term care, or you just say, you know, I'm going to save for retirement, save for uh, end of life, and come up with as big a nest egg as I can, and I'll pay whatever I have to pay out of whatever I have. Uh, I assume some clients take one approach. I assume some clients take another. Uh, What would govern what you would counsel people who have uh, an allegiance to one way or another way? Well, I think the, the real easy argument would be if we can accomplish both things at the same time, why wouldn't we? Sure. And if we can accomplish both things at the same time with no cost to you, why wouldn't we? So where this really comes up and why we've started to lean into this approach of kind of a combo annuity uh, long-term care benefit approach is because for a lot of people, particularly in today's rate environment, annuities look very attractive for a piece of your retirement income anyway. 
So we were looking in this direction anyway. We were talking, uh, you know, earlier uh, in the previous segment today about an inverted yield curve. One place that an inverted yield curve does not occur is in the insurance world. Because in the insurance world, they have more predictability because they have a larger portfolio of bonds. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in a lot of instances, we're seeing clients say, you know, and I'd be completely content with rather than moving my safe money into CDs or bonds or whatever they might be, wouldn't it be cool if I could get a 5% guaranteed rate of return for the next 10 years, five years, and also at the same time get this hugely increased long-term care benefit attached to it that I'm not paying for, which is better than the CD rates I'm seeing. It solves the inverted yield problem. I don't have to worry about the inverse relationship in the bond market, so I'm not worried about losing money in my fixed category. Mm -hmm. It's guaranteed by insurance company, which is through SPIC, which is the same as essentially FDIC for all intents and purposes up to 250000 in Ohio. So you have all of these ancillary benefits attached to something that you were going to do anyway. Well, then why wouldn't you do it? Sure. Now, if you're just vehemently opposed to the word annuity and you never want to go through it, well, that's fine, too. We make the same amount of money. It doesn't matter to us what you decide to do. It's just my responsibility, my fiduciary responsibility to make you aware of something that solves the problem that you brought to me in the most efficient manner. Uh, let's tackle another email. Here's one from Edward. He talks about his home. He says, we own our home and we would like to move to a retirement community in another state. We have a bigger house now than we need, but our mortgage that we paid off was way more affordable than the mortgage we would get where we're moving to. So should we take all the money from the sale of our home and use it toward the home in the new community where we're moving, or should we take out the mortgage, even though it's at a higher rate, and put some of that money into some kind of an investment vehicle to save for our retirement? That's a great question. And I, I didn't hear, do they want to keep the, their moving officially? They're moving. They want to sell their home and move okay. to another area. Yeah. So my suggestion would be very easy. Um, I would suggest that they pay cash for that home, assuming that they have cash flow from other sources to accommodate for that. Knowing full well that at some point in the future, we may change our mind. Um, you know, rewind the clock back to a long time ago, we had uh, an expert in the and the housing market in here, and he said something that really resonated with me. He said, you don't, you buy the home, you rent the rate. Hmm, interesting. So we're going to buy the home because rates are high. If rates retract, we may end up reversing that back to go and do a you know, cash out refi sure. on our home. But right now in the volatility market that we're in, um, I, I can't see spending 6 7% on a mortgage when you don't have to to turn around and try to get six or seven in a portfolio that then you have to pay taxes on. It doesn't make any sense. So here's a conversation I had uh, yesterday with a friend who is moving to this area. He has a home out of state that he wants to sell. And he's doing what I, in other times, would do, which is wait until I get to the area where I'm moving, and it's central Ohio. He wants to live in a rental home for a year and kind of evaluate what neighborhoods does he like? What school systems does he like? And all that makes sense to me. It made sense to me until he told me what he has to pay to rent a four-bedroom, two-and-a-half-bath home. And basically, with the utility payments on the home and all that, he's going to be paying about $4,000 a month, which I just can't get my arms around. I've always been the get a mortgage, don't rent, kind of that's my financial prism. I can't get my arms around paying $50,000 to rent a home for a year. 
I'm sure you have these kinds of questions that come up with clients and should I rent? Should I buy? Mortgage rates are high, all this. Uh, what kind of process should people go through to evaluate what's a smart decision to make in this kind of a environment? Well, while houses as of late have been very liquid, it's easy to get in and out of them and you're always profiting. That's not always the case. Homes are pretty sticky assets. They're, you know, there's not, it wasn't that long ago that it took you a year or longer to sell a home. That's what he's worried about coming from the state that he's in. He's worried about selling the home that he's moving from. Well, now let's fast forward and say $4,000 sounds like a lot of money per month. If you had a $4,000 mortgage, a very small percentage of that in today's rates is actually going to paying off your principal. Mm Mm-hmm. So let's assume that he buys the wrong house rather than renting and he has to turn around and sell it. And then he uses realtors and he has to pay taxes. Sure. Most folks would say that the combination of realtors and taxes and closing costs, et cetera, is somewhere between 8 and 10%. So if he's renting the house that you're talking about and paying $4,000 a month, it's probably a pretty nice house. So what's 10% on a $500,000 house to turn around and sell it? Well, it's about 50000 bucks, which is the same as what he's paying in rent. So my suggestion would be get it right, rent, decide where you want to go, and then buy the place. Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. Set up your free consultation with Josh and his team, 614-917-1040. You can also make your appointment online, aptuswealth.com's website is aptuswealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. You can sign up for the consultation. You can subscribe to the YouTube channel. They're located in Lewis Center just off Route 750. You know, paying off a house, buying a house, that was something I prioritized when I got out of college and started making some money. That's harder now for people. Um, And we talk about the necessity of building discipline into your saving for retirement, starting early. For people who really are finding it hard now to get out of a rental situation and they want to buy a home, but rates are going up, prices are going up, uh, how would you counsel someone if they say to you, hey, look, Josh, I don't disagree with you that I need to be saving for retirement, but I also don't like pouring money into a rental agreement where I'm not getting any equity. How would you balance that conversation and have them navigate it? Well, setting priorities is very important. You know, everybody's priorities are are different. Um, You know, some people have an extreme priority for whatever reason to make sure that they can pay for their kid's college. And they are willing to sacrifice other priorities to get there. Mm -hmm. And it is not my job to tell you where your priorities should be. Uh, It is my job to tell you what the sacrifice is for making that uh, a a pinnacle priority. So if your main priority is, I want to get into a house, uh, I feel good about the concept of home ownership and setting down roots and having a place for my kids to live, then by all means, let's do that first. However, uh, I would also argue, uh, and you just need to be aware, that Time is your greatest asset. And while getting into that home is great, and you could say, well, the house is going to compound and it's going to grow and all those things, that's true. But the concept of saving or the, the, the process of saving, uh, even $150 you know, 50 or $100 a month over time, 40 years versus 20 years, the numbers are just monumentally, it's hard to even wrap your head around. Um, I, I looked at something the other day, and it was something like if you put $1,000 in American Funds Investment Company of America back in 1934, today it would be worth $240 million. Or here's another one I just Ooh. saw hit the web, hit the, the web today. Um, if you put $1,000 in Berkshire Hathaway in 1965, you'd have over $25 million today. It's because of time. Mm-hmm. If you put that same $1,000 in Berkshire Hathaway, not 1965, but in 1990, 
Wait until you see the difference. And if you think it's half, you are drastically mistaken. I mean, it is a mere fraction of the total. So trying to accomplish both things at the same time is the ideal scenario, but it doesn't mean that it's always plausible. And if you're drowning because your income is going up by 3% a year and your rent is going up by 6 that's a problem we need to solve first before we can move on to the other ones. Yeah, and that's the thing, too, that uh, through doing this show with Josh, I've been really impressed with uh, how much just, I'll say it, practical wisdom he brings to the table on matters of like tax planning and major purchases. And look, uh, the choices aren't always pleasant. It does require discipline. Uh, maybe you have to really take a second look at whether that vacation or that second vacation you want in a year is worth it. Uh, do you really need to upgrade your car? Those kinds of things. But every conversation is a personal conversation. Every conversation is different with every client. Sit with Josh and the Aptus team for your free consultation. Get to know them. Let them get to know you. Work on a plan. Get a plan for retirement because when you have a plan and understand it, you're in a much better position. Set up your consultation by calling 614-917-1040. You can make your appointment online at Aptus Wealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. Josh, great to have you in. We'll look forward to talking to you on Money Monday on the Bruce Hooley Show Monday at 1230. Thanks for your time. You as well. Thanks, Bruce. Thanks for listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. I'm Bruce Hooley here with Josh Pick of Aptus Wealth Management. They're located in Lewis Center, 614-917-1040, the number to set up your appointment. As I said, they're located in Lewis Center, just off Route 750, a bit north of 23 and 270. As we sit here and discuss getting people to financial independence, Josh, a big part of that is what do you have to pay the government every year? Because if you can reduce your tax liability, you have more to invest. Yeah, I would suggest that most people shy of maybe their mortgage payment, maybe even including their mortgage payment, their tax bill is probably their largest bill. So any way we can reduce that uh, definitely makes a significant difference in the long run. And I think, you know, we've we've probably beaten to death a lot of the common things, like make sure that if you can qualify for it, you do an HSA every year if you mm-hmm. can afford it, which is putting away money pre-tax, gross tax deferred, and you pull money out tax-free as long as you use it for health care expenses. Um, the other option would be make sure that you're maximizing your qualified plans through your employer. You can put that money in either pre-tax, which is great, or you can do the post-tax option, and then you effectively are in a Roth situation where you have no taxes down the line. And there's a bunch of things like that, and and I would suggest that everybody goes to uh, my website, go to the Knowledge Center tab, and you can sign up for our newsletter. And even this, uh, just today we released a newsletter with seven things you can do from now until tax time to impact your tax situation. But let's mm-hmm. talk about some more Maybe more specific things that I see all the time, uh, two of which I can think about right now that I saw this week with clients that came in from other advisors. So these are clients that were not my clients yet, but were either referred to me or, or called us for whatever reason. And these scenarios showed up with them and they, they can make a significant difference. And it's things that I see all the time that just doesn't make any sense to me. Here's one. I had a client who inherited a lot of money. So... Um, think several million dollars. And all of that money is sitting in what we would call non-qualified accounts. So this is just after-tax dollars, the taxes have already been paid, they're in brokerage accounts earning earning interest or, you know, they're invested in stocks. And my question to him was, why are you not transitioning over $14,000 a year from your non-qualified account into Roth IRAs for you and your wife every year? And they qualify for it. So income-wise, they're fine. Okay. And he said, well, why would I want to do that? Well, right now, your money is sitting in a non-qualified account, getting capital gains, dividends, interest. 
every single year, whether you use that money or not, you're paying taxes on those capital gains, dividends, and interest. If you shift over $14,000 from your non-qualified account, think of it as taking a pair of shoes from one shelf, put on the other, it's still on the same shelf, right? It doesn't matter. It's still your money. You're not locking it up or anything like that. Every dollar of interest, capital gains, or dividends that are received once you put it in that Roth IRA is tax-free forever. It's the same thing. Don't change the investments. Do the same thing. And he goes, well, why, why wouldn't my other advisor tell me to do this? I don't have the slightest idea. The only option I can come up with is, and this is you know, why fiduciary standards I think are pretty important and why the industry keeps on shifting that direction, is it's extra work for no extra money, right? Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. here's the funny part. People talk about Roth conversions all the time. Why is my advisor not telling me about Roth conversions? Well, let's think about it. If you have a million-dollar account, and I'm making 1% or whatever my fee is off of the million-dollar account, I make ten grand a year. If I take 500000 of that and I do a Roth conversion with it, we have to pay the taxes on it first, right? So maybe now I'm only managing $900,000. Now, it's far better for you to be in the Roth and do all the tax planning, all that stuff. But now I'm doing extra applications, extra work, all of this extra stuff, extra explanation, the yeah. list goes on, to make less money. It doesn't make any sense. That's why they don't explain it to you. Now, I'm of the belief that good planning in the long run, it all works out, right? Ultimately, if it's in a tax-free environment and you're at some point, I would assume you're saving all this money to actually use it. Okay, so I'm going to make less money today, but in the future, you're going to need to withdraw less money because you don't have to pay any taxes. So it's all going to work out in the wash, right? But I don't understand why people don't do that. And I see that kind of thing happen all the time. So first, uh, I guess, idea would be if you have a lot of non-qualified dollars and you can qualify for a Roth, and you're not doing it, you should be doing it. The second one that came in this week, uh, which this is kind of a clever use. I know we've been talking over the past couple of weeks about life insurance. Mm -hmm. How can you use life insurance uh, for tax-free income? Well, let's assume that you don't want to use the life insurance for tax-free income. You want to have the life insurance for death benefit, but you'd also like to do Roth conversions. There's an interesting little strategy. So let's say I have a million-dollar IRA. I'd like to convert some of that to a Roth, but I know I'm going to have to pay taxes on it. But I don't really want to pay taxes on it because who wants to pay taxes? But I also have this life insurance policy that I've never used that's got a $500,000 death benefit, but it's got $250,000 worth of cash value in it. Insert your numbers. It really doesn't matter. I can convert $100,000 of my IRA to a Roth. I have to pay taxes on the IRA. Mm -hmm. But why don't I take a loan off my life insurance policy, tax-free, to pay the taxes on the Roth conversion? Well, now I have a tax-free death benefit that still remains on my life insurance policy. I'm paying maybe 1% as a loan rate on my life insurance policy to, in turn, pay for tax liability that might be 20 or 30% on my IRA. That's a very – now, if you didn't follow that, that's kind of a complicated one. But my point and what I'm trying to convey here is we so many times talk about how can I get a higher rate of return? How can I, what's the best stock to buy? How can I go from zero to a million in 10 seconds? Right. What we'd never talk about, which I would argue can move the needle on your financial picture just as much, is how do I make this money without paying taxes on it? Legally, we're not talking about any sort of funny business here. And the reason that not a lot of effort is focused on it, I believe, is unfortunately because there's not a lot of money to be made on it. But, If you're going to, from my perspective, if you're going to acquire significantly high net worth, astute clients who are looking at you, and we've heard this all before, why would I work with an advisor 
You know, I can do all this stuff on my own. I have Vanguard. I have whatever, yeah. right? Why would I work with you? Because you're not getting that information from Vanguard. So if you're going to pay me to do something, I better be able to hold up my end of the bargain and show you something that you can't do on your own that actually makes a significant impact. So these are the types of strategies that we do all the time. It's not just money management. It's wealth management as it relates to taxes. Josh and I have done this show for a while, and we talk off air too. Uh, He's outlined a couple of these scenarios where I've thought a couple things. Number one, that's really brilliant. Number two, like, wow, I would never have thought to bring to my financial advisor a question about how should I buy this boat or how should I buy this car or what should I do with this rental property or something like that. Because I do tend to think of, I have in the past thought of of an investment advisor as somebody who just is interested in taking whatever amount of money I can give him to invest and that's the end of it. But you really, you are a wealth advisor and, and I'm interested, you're a fiduciary, which we talked before, you're contractually obligated to do what's best for your client. In that scenario you outlined for the person who had a million dollars and they could put some of it in a Roth and pay less taxes and all that, you said that maybe they had an advisor who wouldn't do that because they're going to not make any money off the person giving them less money to invest. How does the system work where fiduciaries are held to the standard of, are you doing what's best for the client? How does that work? Like, are there investment advisors who are not fiduciaries? Uh, for, well, there's not investment advisors that aren't fiduciaries, but there are certainly quote-unquote advisors that aren't fiduciaries. So there's two ways really to operate in this business. Way number one is an investment advisor, which is the definition of essentially fiduciary. So you're, what that means is you're being paid a fee for service. So you get a flat fee that cannot be disproportionately paid based upon any one product versus the other. Simple explanation would be we have – you say you want to buy – Uh, a mutual fund and mutual fund a pays me 5% commission and mutual fund B pays me 4% commission. If I was a broker, which is the other side of the house, as long as they're both suitable for you, I can pick whichever one I want. Now, maybe the one that's 5% commission to me isn't quite as good as the one that's 4% commission to me, but it doesn't matter because they're both suitable. A fiduciary on the other hand, or an investment advisor, let's say that, you know, the fee is 1%. I have to make the same 1% as 1% as 1%. doesn't matter the product. So how do I make more money? Well, I make more money by your account size growing. Sure. So I would be inclined to do two things, which I think are incredibly valuable. One, make sure that I pick an investment that gives you the best upside potential. And two, pick an investment that not only gives you the most upside potential, but has the least volatility risk. Because from that advisor's perspective, if the market goes down 30% and you go down the full 30% with them, his income just went down by 30%. He doesn't want that either, or she doesn't want that either. Right. So I think, you know, the fiduciary side of things puts you on the same side of the table as the client and certainly levels the playing field and lets you know that while maybe this fiduciary or this investment advisor isn't the smartest person ever, isn't the best advisor ever, at least I know that well-built fences make for great neighbors and they have my best interests in mind. They have to. What it doesn't ensure is whether or not that investment advisor knows a lot. There's, I mean, it means they passed the test. Mm-hmm. It means that, um, you know, they've passed ethical standards. It means that they don't have, you know, significant things on their background check, but just like everything else in life. I mean, there's, there's D student doctors and A student doctors, right? And the real challenge, I believe, is finding who was the A student doctor. And there's a couple ways you can do that. One is through referrals. The other way is educate yourself enough to know when you're speaking to somebody that they, they know their stuff. 
So my wife and I sat through the consultation at Aptis, and we are now clients at Aptis. And I say that not because I'm trying to pressure you into becoming clients at Aptis or because I get anything out of it if you become clients. I say that because we just reached a total peace of mind. And when you turn over your retirement to somebody else, I mean, there has to be trust there. And we went through the process and we developed trust, not that we didn't have it going in, but there's a different level of trust where you just know somebody as opposed to saying, yeah, I want to put you in charge of my investments. But we also understood what was happening and what the strategies were. And, uh, you know, I've got a little bit of uh, inside baseball knowledge here because Josh and I do talk about these scenarios and I'm like, okay, this guy really knows his stuff, but that's up to you. And, you know, I, I'd be curious to know, Josh, if people come in, if they make the call, they called 614-917-1040 or they set it up online at aptuswealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. Like you didn't campaign, I should do this because, uh, and I don't know if that happens, if that's what people fear when they're thinking about the process, but give me your kind of viewpoint of how you relate to clients and if people would be interested in coming in, what they can expect from that conversation. Yeah, well, I think one is that it's not a sales process. And that's a very big shocker to people, I think. I think they're waiting for the shoe to drop where they go, aha, bait and switched me. I knew you were trying to sell me a XYZ product, right? And, and that just doesn't happen. Um, the other thing that I think is shocking to people is that it's, it's pretty time consuming. It, it's not just one meeting. It, it takes several meetings to figure this out. And the reason for that is, you know, the old adage, how to eat an elephant, right? One bite at a time. Mm-hmm. As we're talking on this radio show, it sounds like, wow, these are really kind of some complicated, you know, strategies. How in the world am I going to understand this stuff? Well, you're not going to in one meeting. Uh, it's going to take a while, but we'll get there. So the process is one where we understand who you are and what you've done so far. And part of that is learning what your background is. You know, engineers have a certain way of thinking versus somebody who does a different occupation. Sure. So you have to kind of cater how you're delivering the information. But then in meeting two, we simply just analyze what you've done and we see if the arrow hits a target. Now, through that conversation, we get to talk about different elements of financial planning. What is risk? We talk about it all the time, but what is it? What's the difference between risk and volatility? Is there a difference? What are the potential landmines that could affect you when you're in your 60s and 70s that had no bearing on you in your 40s and 50s? And through this kind of piecemeal giving of knowledge along the way, you start to develop a base knowledge and understanding of what this whole process is. Not until meeting three do we actually kind of give you the solutions, the blueprint. And at that point, after meeting number three, we kind of figure out, hey, is this a good relationship, yes or no? Is this something you want to pursue? Are you a good client for us? Because we can't help everybody. Um, And then we move on. So there's never, I think the shocker would be the decision is never rushed and the decision is never forced. At no point am I going to go, hey, I'm going to go get the paperwork. You ready to sign? You're probably going to have to ask me for it. That's just not the way that we we work. I'm very fortunate in that, you know, probably the most difficult part of this business is acquiring clients, and that just really isn't a difficult uh, thing for us, uh, which is, I mean, we're truly blessed to be in that position. But what we're really looking for is good people who are reasonably like-minded, who are willing to follow through on what they say, and who desperately desire to get the answers that they're looking for for the peace of mind that you were talking about. Aptus is located in Lewis Center. They're just off Route 750, and that's not far from 23 and 270. They do service a lot of clients remotely, so if you're out of the area, that's not an impediment to becoming an Aptus client. Their number is 614-917-1040. Their website is aptuswealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com, and you can become a subscriber to Josh's YouTube channel for free. Get notified when new content is posted. 
These kinds of concepts that we talk about here on the show, which airs Friday night at 7 and Saturday at noon, same kind of thing. We just break it down in smaller doses, and you can pause that content or share it or watch watch it again, take notes on it. Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show, again, airs at 7 o'clock Friday and at noon Saturday. Do you find when you have consultations with people that uh, you have a lot of financial bad habits to break with people or because they're coming in, they've already prioritized uh, to some degree? managing their wealth and building retirement, that there are people who already have pretty good habits in place? Uh, there's both. Um, I would say in general, if you're coming to meet with me, you probably saved some money. Uh, otherwise, it's very difficult to understand what we're even talking about, or at least you're on a path of being consistent mm-hmm. in your way of savings. I think rather than bad habits, the conversations that we have a lot are misconceptions. Um, and, and I'll use a couple of examples. You know, People will come in very, very often and say, uh, by the way, just letting you know, I hate annuities. And I'm just picking on them yeah. because they seem to get a lot of press and get okay. picked on a lot. And my response is always the same. Me too. But some of them I like. You know, because this broad brushstroke, I mean, how can you just say you hate everything, right? What if I said that there was an annuity contract out there that, you know, cured cancer and solved all your problems? You would probably like that one. Yeah, that'd be a good one. You just don't know that it exists yet. Um, and, you know, with all financial instruments, again, just picking on annuities, but we could insert life insurance, insert mutual fund, insert, you know, pick your poison. Yep. There are good ones and bad ones. And the secret, the secret sauce is knowing what ones you need for your solution. I'll give you an example. So we were going over uh, client appointments. Here's another client appointment I had this week. A gentleman came into my office and he said, um, I'm terrified of the market. I haven't been in the market in 10 years. I've been sitting in cash, which you and I both know probably hasn't done you uh, a whole lot of favors in the last 10 years as inflation has been skyrocketing in the last two years and interest rates have been essentially zero for the last 10 years until the last 12 months yeah, or so. Yeah, he's missed a lot of gains. He's missed a lot of gains. He would, have, he would have probably tripled or quadrupled his money if he was in the stock market <laughs> of the same time period. But he said, I'm just terrified. I don't want to go into it. I know you financial planner people, uh, you know, you want us to go into stocks. And he's like, you're kind of... You're kind of beating up the wrong tree if you think that I'm going to do that. So I don't know how you're going to help me, but I'm here to listen because what I'm doing ain't working. Okay, fair. Gee, holding his money and not investing it is not working. Big yeah, shock. shocker, right? So, you know, what did we end up coming to the conclusion on? Ironically, the other thing that he hated was annuities. Now, this guy is an annuity buyer. I mean, if there was a brochure yeah. for who should buy an annuity, it's this guy. His concerns were, I want lifetime income that I can't outlive. I'd like to have inflation adjustments. I don't care about leaving any money to my kids because I don't, you know, they're all doing better than I am. I'm divorced. I don't need to worry about a, my, my wife. So I just want to make sure that I have as much income as possible to live out my days, and I want to make sure I don't outlive it. That is the brochure for an annuity contract, right? But he said he didn't want one. So I described a product that would do everything that I just said an annuity would do. And I said, there's only one downside to the product. He goes, what's that? I said, you're going to have to get over your misconceptions about annuities. Anyone, are you serious? I said, yep. Let me explain to you how it works. So you don't need the money for five years. It will grow at a guaranteed, your income benefit, what your income is based upon, will grow at a guaranteed, guaranteed 7.5% over the next five years. When you start taking the money, your income will last for the rest of your life, as long as you shall live. If you die the day two... Your beneficiaries will still get the remaining balance of what you had in the contract to begin with. 
And every single year, you will get a guaranteed 4.5% inflation adjustment. Every single year. He goes, how is that possible? Well, we can get to that in a second, but is that what you're looking for? Yep. So why am I telling this story? Because we, we have, you asked me about misconceptions yes, or, or, or preconceived notions. Preconceived notions or bad habits. Sometimes our bad habits are our own naivety, right? Our bad habits are thinking that we have something all figured out. Now, the reality was what he thought an annuity was, was a variable annuity. There's four different kinds in general. Mm-hmm. He specifically described a variable annuity. He didn't even know there was three other kinds. He didn't know that a pension essentially was an annuity contract. Similarly, people go, I don't want to get in the stock market because I don't want to gamble. They don't know that there's a million different ways to skin this cat. You can do it without gambling. You can do it with bookended risk tolerances. Yes, there's a lot of ways you can do things. So you have to have conversations about getting over those misconceptions. Well, yeah, and we don't know what bad experiences enter into people's lives. Uh, number one, they they might have a good reason. Maybe they got burned with something, but they don't, as you said, with the annuities, they didn't know there were other options that are structured differently. Um, they may not have good information at all. Maybe they just have a wrong label on it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and we've talked before about the number of different investments you just referenced, the strategy that I chose, at least in part, which is there's a way to be in the market, but not be in the riskiest aspect of the market where you sacrifice a little bit on certain in certain uh, gains. You might sacrifice a little bit, but you also protect yourself against big losses. Yeah, I mean, think of it as insuring your money. Um, and, and for those of you who are familiar with the strategy, you've probably already started to tilt towards always talking about indexed annuities. And sure, that's an option, but that's not the only option on hedging your hedging your bet, if you want to think of it that way. Think of it very simply as if the market goes up and I'm invested in the Vanguard S&P 500 fund, because that's what people call the market, well, then my only cost associated with that is a very small percentage, 25 basis points, maybe a quarter of a percent, maybe less. But I get 100% of the up and 100% of the down. Mm-hmm. Is there a way to say, you know what, I'm okay if I only get 80% of the up, but I'd like to only absorb 20% of the down. Yeah, you can do that. What if I would like to, if the market goes up, I'd like to get the first 15% of it. But if it goes down, I'd like to, I'll absorb the first five. I can tolerate that. But anything beyond that really starts to get in my craw, right? So I want to make Mm -hmm. sure that the next 25 or whatever it is is taken care of. All of these things are available. You just need to know where to look. And you need to know what you're actually looking for, which is why that first meeting is so important. I need to understand what makes you tick, what you're looking for. And then my job is to find the right tool for the job. So when the fulfillment that you get out of doing what you do, uh, what is it? Is it in, um, you know, escalating returns? Is it more uh, relational than that? What's the what's the value, the personal value that you get out of doing what you do? Uh, well, one, uh, I've met some really cool people. We've had we've had conversations yeah. offline about just even the experiences that I've been able to do. I mean, ranging from, you know, getting in a flight simulator because, you know, somebody who works <laughs> at that particular thing, which is super cool to I mean, just some great lifelong relationships, people that had some amazing jobs working for different different companies. So the stories that I get to receive are are I mean, they're just remarkable and it keeps it interesting and new all the time. Um, so, you know, around a cocktail hour, I got a lot of good stories, I guess, because they're a lot of fun. Now, that said, where do I get the actual, you know, fulfillment or what's the purpose driven part in my life? Um, 
you know, taking people who are fearful and giving them peace of mind has a lot of value. And I think that stems from, I don't know if we've talked about this on the show before, but when I was a kid, my father died when I was young. So when I was 13, my father died unexpectedly, uh, very quickly of cancer. And my mom, like many uh, mothers back in that time frame, was a homemaker. She didn't work. She didn't balance a checkbook. She didn't do any of that stuff. Mm -hmm. So she was saddled with the responsibility of trying to figure it all out very, very quickly. And unfortunately, um, you know, blood gets in the water. They know there's a little bit of death benefit proceeds out there. And I saw how, unfortunately, and hopefully she doesn't get mad at me for saying this out loud, but I saw how certain people, in my opinion, took some pretty significant advantage of that situation. And by no means, by the way, were we wealthy. I mean, Mm -hmm. we're talking lower middle class at best. So what I saw was that people who are naive to options can be taken advantage of. So my job or what I enjoy is not just giving people the right plan. You can do, I can do that just by, you know, send me your stuff, send me your statements, tell me how much income you want. And I'll spit it back out to you. But showing people what their choices are, giving them the empowerment of knowing why they're doing what they're doing and seeing how they live their life differently. Now that's, that's a purpose-driven life right there. And uh, I'll just tell you guys, you know, I knew Josh a long time before I broached the topic of, you know, getting together with him for the free consultation. It was not driven by him at all. So it's uh, it's not low pressure. It's no pressure. It is free. Uh, you'll get to know him. You'll understand more about the process. That's what I say all the time. Sherry and I have gained from it is that total peace of mind. Set up your consultation online by going to aptuswealth.com, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. You can make your appointment on the phone, 614-917-1040. Josh, great to have you in the office as always. We'll talk to you again Monday on the Bruce Hooley Show at 1230. Sounds great. Thanks, Bruce.